Welcome to the Aptivate Podcast, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. I'm Brian Altman, Director of Sales here at Remerge. When you hear my voice, I'll be talking to marketers from gaming apps about strategies, best practices, and industry trends for running campaigns across different regions of the world. All right, so we're back for another episode of the Remerge Gaming spinoff. And we're here with Cordell Robin Coker from Carry First. And he's a second time veteran, I would say, to the Remerge Activate podcast. How's it going, Cordell? It's going really well. Great to be back. Cool. And in the theme of international marketing, Cordell's calling in from South Africa, Cape Town, right? Yes. Beautiful Cape Town. The weather's warming up. So very excited to be here. Yeah, so lucky as we're going into the depths of winter here in New York, you're going into the summer period. So very jealous. Maybe I'll work from home from Cape Town for the winter. We'll see. (laughs) All right, cool. So let's get into it. And I always like to start these podcasts for our listeners with a little intro about you. And you have a, I would say, a pretty interesting background. And so it would be great to hear how you got to where you are today running Carry First and what you're doing in your role at Carry First as well. Absolutely. So I usually start from the beginning. I'm originally from Sierra Leone, left when I was about six and moved to the States and then spent basically 20 years in the US. I went to the West Coast for university and started my career in finance. So I worked for Morgan Stanley, a big investment bank in New York and London. And then I worked with a big private equity firm called the Carlisle Group in DC for a couple of years, close to the founder and chief investment officer. And I had always wanted to make my way back to West Africa, see if I could be helpful and impactful in some way. And Carlisle was at the time raising I would say a first of its kind, a $700 million PE fund focused, dedicated on Africa. So I raised my hand to join. I was the only West African dude trolling around the DC offices. So it was a pretty easy sell and had the opportunity to move back to this time, Lagos, Nigeria, 2013. I spent five years traveling all over the region, investing in businesses. And on the side, I started investing in tech startups for fun. So me, And a college buddy raised about a million dollars and started investing in startups. They did really well. And eventually I started thinking to myself that maybe it could be a good time for me to put my hat in the ring and start a company myself. I had always loved games. I was a a massive console gamer growing up all the way up until graduating university. When I started working 100 hour weeks in New York, I thought that gaming was incompatible with adult life, which I eventually came to learn is not the case, but at the time I did. And Carry First was really a way to merge my childhood passion of gaming with like a massive opportunity, which I saw every day in mobile and particularly mobile content across Africa. So Carry First, we're looking to build the leading consumer internet company in Africa And our wedge is really mobile games and consumer fintech applications. And so we publish games that we license from partners around the world. We also have started developing games to kind of fill in the gaps where Western developers and publishers aren't really serving the needs that we see. And we've built pretty sophisticated payments and fintech platform 
to allow folks on the continent to be able to pay for in-game and in-app items that they want, but they couldn't otherwise access. That's really awesome. That's a great story. And you've clearly told it before. So <laughs> Once or twice. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really appreciate that background. And that's a, it's really cool to see kind of like a story of someone coming full circle and coming back to like where their roots were and improving kind of the tech infrastructure that exists within Africa. We'll definitely get more into that. I'm interested because it sounds like Carry First, it has kind of its hands in a couple of things. You mentioned fintech, right? Improving payments within Africa, as well as gaming. And you mentioned you work with multiple partners. So curious, you know, what kind of partners you're working? You can disclose names if you can. If not, just more curious to hear a little bit more about like what types of partners you might be working with. Absolutely. So we work with a pretty wide range of partners from I would say indie studios all the way up to your AAAs. A lot of things I can't yet disclose, but one which has recently been announced is we're working with Activision to help them scale Call of Duty Mobile in South Africa. Africa has been a little bit of a blind spot for them, like it is for most sort of Western AAA folks. And they're keen to see if we can help them really tap that opportunity. So they just opened up their first servers in South Africa a few weeks ago, and people were going crazy on like Discord and Twitter, and were actually helping them partner with one of the biggest hip hop artists in South Africa named Nasty C, who's a massive Kadam fan and streams. And so it's a really fun one to kick off late this year. That's awesome. And so you mentioned you're doing like a t full 360 marketing. So that obviously speaks to the services that y'all provide. It's not just, say, performance marketing and or influencer marketing. It's really like if you want to bring a game to the African market, Carry First can help you with everything from infrastructure all the way through marketing and promotion. A hundred percent. So there's performance, community, live operations. And then ultimately, what we think is really valuable is on the back end, we can help you monetize better than you could otherwise. So increase the LTV of each of those individual users. So it's cool. Super cool. How many employees? And I assume you're based in Cape Town, correct? So we were based in Cape Town. We had offices in Cape Town, Lagos, and New York. And in 2020, we decided that we didn't want to pay rent anymore. And so we killed all of our offices. And now we're a fully remote, fully distributed company. We have about 60 people. And I recently saw a chart where we're essentially kind of doubling every year, which is frightening. And But those 60 people are spread out across 24 different countries, across Africa, Europe, Middle East, and we have a few folks in New York. Awesome. Awesome. I'm all about uh, work from home, even though I'm in the office right now. That's strictly for <laughs> recording reasons. Perfect. So I think, like I said, this podcast is really about marketing games internationally. And on a few episodes, we've touched a little bit about on the African market, but I would really love to get a little bit more into that market in general for those listeners that might not be as familiar with it. So I guess we can maybe start with general trends in terms of like adoption of what kind of games do you see? Now, we all know that like Africa would be considered kind of a newer smartphone market, right? So smartphones have come later to that continent, to that region. And I'm really curious what kind of trends that you've seen that affect in terms of adoption of games themselves. Do you see differing of games that are resonating with users 
And obviously it's not a situation where one size fits all, right? Some markets within Africa might be a little bit more mature than others. So I don't want to say like blanket statement here, but the short end of the question is like, what kind of games resonate with users in Africa? Is it very similar to say tier one regions, US and Europe, or do you see different in the games that users are interacting with there? Yeah, it's a very good question. I would say the types of games that folks are attracted to and, and are playing are similar to what we see in tier one, but the proportions are dramatically different. And here's why. So there are 1.4 billion people in Africa, but 1.1 of those are under the age of 40. So you have a median age of 19 years old, which compares to something like 42 or 43 in Western Europe. And so with that, what you see is typically games which are played by younger folks and smartphone adoption early tends to skew male. So 60 to 70% young male audience. And so the types of games really flow from that. So a lot of competitive games, your shooters, your parlor games, your sports, particularly soccer, which is like essentially religion in the region. And so we tend to see a lot of competitive games strategy as opposed to games that are more on the casual puzzle side of things, which tend to be, even in the West, tend to be sort of middle age, older, oftentimes skews female, and so on. And so while the proportions are different, I would say for any given individual, I would say typically people are playing similar styles of games. Got it. And so how does that kind of determine what titles you're going to choose to support? Because I noticed that you're supporting obviously Call of Duty, but you're also supporting, I think I noticed some like trivia games, for example. So do you kind of run the gamut in terms of like what titles you choose to work with? Or are you kind of going for the lower hanging fruit, the titles that are going to skew more towards the majority or, or the larger audience within the region? Yeah. So a lot of this stems from our overarching strategy as a company. Our view and our goal on the marketing side is we want to be the gaming company in the world that is least dependent on performance marketing. And I know we're going to talk a bunch about performance marketing, but we believe that there is a lot of low-hanging fruit, particularly in a new emerging region with organic, finding different ways to drive or organic installs, driving community-led growth, influencers, and so on. And so when we think about the genres or the themes of games that we want, we want games where there's very, very natural pull, where people are already looking for, searching for, engaging with that type of content. And so we do kind of, as they say, push them the way they lean. We like shooter, we like sports games, local card and board games. So things that people are already playing offline with their friends and just finding a way to have like cool, fun, digital versions of that, that still appeal to those desires. It's really interesting because it's, it is a market where it's not as saturated, right? So I bet there's a lot more opportunity to kind of step in specifically thinking about, like you mentioned, like the local card games and stuff. Do you have a team or a person that maybe goes and does research on like what card games are popular within specific regions and then finds opportunities there? 
It's a combination of things. We have a dedicated consumer insights person, and then we, we have a few folks on the BD side. And so they're doing tons and tons of desktop research and can tell you down to the T what people are engaging with. But the even more useful part is that our team is local. And so we have people on the ground in I think seven or eight different African countries that are on our publishing team. And so we can actually just ask people, what are you guys playing? What did you grow up playing? What are the nostalgic games? What are the trends? And obviously folks are really excited to share and to advocate for things which resonate with them and resonate with sort of their environment. So it's a combination of really top down, but also really knowing our, our markets intuitively. That's really cool. And it's like definitely, it sounds exciting to kind of participate in the evolution of a market where like, if you were to put Africa on the spectrum and compare that to like the US and the US mobile market, what year would you say Africa's in currently? <laughs> Dude, I would Sweet. say maybe <laughs> made like just in the conversion from like Facebook games to free to play, maybe even a year earlier. The example that I give is I say Africa is essentially where Southeast Asia was like six or seven years ago. We compare ourselves somewhat often to Karina in Southeast Asia and Part of that is business model, but even bigger is that our markets overlap like almost perfectly as far as like stage of development. And so while Africa is 54 countries, we tend to try and simplify a little bit. We focus on eight countries and in those eight countries, there are about 550 million people. It's about 68% of the GDP of the region. And it looks like eerily similar down to like the million person and a few hundred million of GDP to Southeast Asia a few years ago. And so if you look at what's happened there and the explosion over the last five or six years, we think that we're due for that. And so we think the floor for Africa is probably Southeast Asia and the cap is like China, given the overall scale. Super interesting. And I would assume I could try and rail off those eight countries, but I think it's probably what, like Nigeria, Egypt, South Africa, Kenya, maybe is, am I missing? You got four. I, I got four. <laughs> that was good. The other ones are Ghana, Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia. And so South Africa is your most mature market. It looks in many ways like Western European, particularly like a Southern European country, when you look at LTVs, when you look at the types of games that people are playing, the ages of people. So it's kind of our tier one market. And then you have some really big markets that have a lot of room to go from an infrastructure standpoint. But if you crack them, you have massive markets. So there are 200 million people in Nigeria. There are 100 million people in Egypt. And so those are places where if you can solve some of the challenges, particularly around payments, suddenly you've got a really, really big market. And then Francophone North Africa and Kenya are interesting ones just behaviorally. There's a legacy of PC gaming in North Africa, which is distinct from the rest. And so you have like legacy gamers, they're a little bit more mature. 
They play strategy games, MOBA, and things of that nature. So it gives you a, a lot more depth on like the mid-core side of things to really explore. So as you can hear, they're pretty diverse, even mm -hmm. in that little sort of bundle of eight. But it's just diverse enough that a major Western publisher will find it like either too early or too difficult to attack themselves. So there's a reason for us to really exist and helping to simplify all of the complexity and, and essentially provide one interface to be able to tap that region. Great. You keep bringing up such interesting points. So I'm kind of going off script a little bit here, but you mentioned infrastructure, right? And obviously, I think when you're building out a cellular network, that's something that you probably have to think about when producing or bringing games to life. Is that something that you consider when pushing games out there, the amount of bandwidth, for example, it takes to support a game? Or are you really just thinking about the user experience overall? Or am I totally off here? Most of these users connected to some sort of maybe not fiber optic at this point, but like, what does the internet situation look like that you're dealing with? And how does that affect the games that you're putting out there? I would say infrastructure and accessibility is a really important part of cracking the market. It starts from devices. So most Western studios are building for the latest iPhone right now, iPhone 14, which is a thousand dollar basically supercomputer in your pocket. It's probably more powerful than your laptop was six or seven years ago. Whereas folks in frontier markets, Africa, Southeast Asia, parts of LATAM, oftentimes are coming in with hundred, $150 entry level Android smartphones. And so, you know, storage capacity is lower, processing capacity, battery life. And that means that folks have to make real trade-offs. If you're downloading a game that's four gigabytes on install, you might actually have to make a decision as to what you're going to uninstall in order to be able to have that game on your phone. And so I think devices is the first, and you mentioned connectivity. So look, there's undersea fiber that basically circumnavigates the continent. And so there is access to like high-speed fiber and Wi-Fi and so on in certain places. So we found actually with our first game that we launched in 2019, that peak times for download were 10 in the morning. And it was like a massive peak. It wasn't something very notable. And we were trying to figure out what it is. And 10 in the morning is when you either get to work and settle in and, or you get to school and settle in. And suddenly you're on Wi-Fi and it's a perfect time to start browsing the app store and downloading your favorite games and your favorite apps. And so in people's typical days when they're on like cellular networks, I would say the experience is highly variable. So you can go from 2G to 4G, be cut off. And so games that are diverse or that are like resilient in their gameplay that can maybe withstand a split second being disconnected without losing your entire experience, I think end up having much better retention than games that require like pristine connectivity. So that's the environment. The other thing which I almost think is more important is like, what do game companies do, right? So all of these like massive multiplayer games or PVP games, typically, if you look around the world, they have local servers or local points of private presence close to any single hub. And Africa is oftentimes like a complete black hole that there are no servers. And we have to say there are like 
oh, people in South Africa are churning. Why don't they love our game? And we're like, well, where's your nearest server? And they're like, Saudi Arabia or something. And then we have to like pull up a map and be like, do you know how many thousands of miles away? So the player experience sucks because they haven't spun up like a cloud server in Cape Town where, you know, it, it's just as easily available as New York City or LA. So I think some of it's the environment and that will evolve over time. But a lot of it is just like people deciding that they want to serve users on the continent and doing so. So to that end, are you like supporting Activision in setting up server infrastructure within South Africa? Is that like something that you help them with or did they do that on their own? The very first thing we advised them to do was set up local servers. And that was the first test that they ran. And we saw really interesting results. And so moved to the next stage. I know you mentioned South Africa is more in the realm of like Southern European countries. So I'm assuming when Activision came out with Call of Duty there, they didn't scale back on the game at all based on kind of it's the full game experience, correct? It's the full, complete game experience. And we think there's a big enough market that can engage that wants to, has the appetite and the inclination to pay for content and monetize. So we think it's a really cool match. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, well, we can get a little bit more into like the marketing front since this is technically a marketing podcast, but I find just like it is also about international gaming and new markets. So it's just super interesting to hear kind of the evolution of the African market from you, an expert. So what I did want to ask, though, is you mentioned influencer marketing and driving organics. So I'd be curious to know what is the influencer marketing scene, I guess you could say, look like in Africa? I would assume varies by region. You mentioned a lot of countries that are different in culture, different languages. But if you could kind of give like a blanket overview of like your experiences with influencer marketing in, in Africa, that'd be awesome. The way I would describe it is somewhat primitive, but incredibly impactful. There are, I would say culturally, there are countries in Africa that are like Nigeria, for example, that are incredibly vibrant from music, movies, art standpoint. You have Nigerian musicians winning Grammy Awards now and doing world tours and so on and so forth. So there's like a lot of what I would call like social capital that rests with artists, whether from the music, whether they're comedians and so on and so forth. And in, in markets where you are, they're early smartphone markets. So people are, haven't downloaded 200 apps and they don't burn through them every week. The relationship between a piece of content is a lot more intimate. So having that social proof, having someone that they know, someone that looks like them or sounds like them or speaks their slang, pitching a piece of content is much more impactful, I would say, than the West where people are a little jaded. They know that they're paid to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And so we could talk a little bit about creative strategy, but one of the things that we notice early is that pure kind of gameplay-based creatives oftentimes don't do as well as ones which have people involved in them. And if those people are famous or if those people are entertaining in that piece of creative, it's even more powerful. And so I'll give an anecdote. We launched a trivia game in 2009 or 2019, apologies. And 
we had a, a LA-based creative studio that was making like really top-notch, shiny, beautiful, colorful gameplay creatives. And then separately, we were contracting with this like local comedian who had like 500,000 Instagram followers. And he was making funny skits and then posting them on Instagram. And we'd get like a little boost in installs every time he would post. And one thing we thought to ourselves is, what if we just like recut this video and then pushed it through a programmatic channel? And so that's what we did. And we had like incredible traction on that. We were seeing IPMs that were 50 to 100% better than on the gameplay creatives. And so it really kind of sparked an idea in our heads and really illuminated the value and the importance of influencers, but not just using them in their channels and social channels, but actually leveraging them through programmatic and merging those two disciplines. That's great. And I think it's really interesting because it kind of speaks to just the early market environment that you're dealing with, right? It's like you can't necessarily apply the same thought process to creatives featuring gameplay to an audience that maybe has never seen this game before or played this game before, right? So you need to have some sort of something else. And it sounds like you maybe hit on something with influencer marketing there. You mentioned Nigeria, right? Have you done influencer campaigns in other markets that maybe differ slightly from Nigeria? You mentioned that's kind of like a vibrant environment with a lot of cultural equity that's been built up from movies and stuff. Have you kind of cracked the code in maybe some in countries that maybe maybe just are a little more challenging when it comes to finding influencers? So the other two countries where we've done pretty extensive influencer-based marketing are South Africa and Kenya. South Africa is also a dynamic market, but I would say in many ways, Nigeria culturally is kind of like the United States of Africa. I think if you go to a, a club in any city uh, across the continent, you'll be hearing Nigerian music. And so South Africa is a little bit more developed and more mature of a media market. And so in that case, we didn't always necessarily work with influencers that were famous. We just created like really high quality and entertaining like people-based content. And so that's a little bit different. The production quality has to be higher typically. And so that's a different approach. And then Kenya is interesting because Kenya and a number of countries in East Africa speak Swahili and a lot of slang and a lot of marketing copy done by local advertisers is done either exclusively in Swahili or like interspersing different words. And so again, there, even without having someone famous that they know or that they've heard of, just having people that are kind of speaking their slang and, and that are reflecting what they would see and hear and experience in their day to day has allowed us to like drive significant uplift there. So it isn't one stop or it isn't one size fits all, but in each country, we do think it's really important to have a localized and a culturalized approach to marketing in particular. Awesome. I do want to ask a couple more questions and then we can wrap this thing up. But I did want to ask about payments. You mentioned payments as kind of a service that Carry First provides payment solutions. What do you see being kind of like the challenges with payments and then the underlying solution there? 
when it comes to the African region. And yeah, I'll let you go with that. The core challenge with payments is that very few people, like fewer than 10% of folks on the continent have access to an internationally accepted credit card. And what that means is for any given piece of content, nine out of 10 would-be payers are physically unable to monetize. No matter how badly they want to, they just can't. But digital payments are incredibly well adopted. In some countries, penetration is as high as the US or Western Europe. And like in Kenya, it's higher. They're just using different methods, right? They're using things like mobile money, like local bank transfer, locally denominated cards, agent networks. So you have this like proliferation and dispersion of payment methods, which vary by country. And it's really, really hard for any one publisher to say, I'm going to serve everyone. And so what we've done is we've built our own payments aggregation engine where we're integrated with over 20 different payment service providers. And we provide over a hundred different methods in six of our top eight countries. And we have a web top-up shop where folks can go online and they can purchase in-app or in-game content, as well as a wide range of virtual goods. And so the solution for us is really aggregation and merging or bridging the payment methods which people have available and they're already using in their daily lives with uh, international content that they want to consume and that they want to pay. So we kind of sit in between and bridge and it helps the consumer and ultimately it helps studios and publishers as well. I'm going to bring up a buzzword and I hate doing this right now, but I'm going to do it. Do you see crypto coming in and playing a role in payments, in-game payments anytime soon in Africa? Or is that something that's long on the horizon? It's actually a, a really, really good and topical question. So broadly speaking, I think crypto and Web3 will be more impactful in Africa than anywhere else in the world. And the reason is because there are legitimate day-to-day -day use cases for the majority of folks, whereas in the West, it tends to be up until now, primarily a tool for speculation. On the continent, people are using crypto as a core store of value. In countries where you have like very volatile currencies and depreciation, being in a stable coin is a really, really valuable thing. International transfers are really complicated and expensive. And so being able to use crypto rails to make transfers to friends and family, to pay for goods, is also really valuable. And when you think about what exploded, at least temporarily, but I think there are long-term legs, on the gaming side in Southeast Asia, those components exist in Africa times 10, right? So an incredibly young population, digitally savvy, experimental, more time, energy, and ingenuity than formal work opportunities. And so putting those things together and actually looking at some data, there was an, a report by Chain Analysis that I saw last year where Africa represented African countries were five of the top 20 countries in the world in crypto adoption which is pretty astounding, particularly when you adjust for just like internet penetration, <laughs> right? And so we think that there's a big role for it to play in payments. So we accept 
cryptocurrencies at point of sale with our payments engine. That's Those are one of the types of methods that are available. And we're also starting to cook up some solutions that we think will be really, really impactful for studios that are developing and looking to publish Web3 games in the region. So it's not at the core of what we do today, but we think it will be really important in the future. And so we're building for it now. Awesome. I'm glad I asked that then. Yeah. So this isn't really a question. We're going to leave it at this. It's more of maybe like a point and I want to see what you think. But it seems like to me, the proliferation of mobile gaming in Africa really has this kind of like democratizing effect for games in general, right? It's, I would assume, like self smartphones for a lot of families within Africa could potentially be the first kind of like computer like device that they've owned. And a lot of these people have never owned consoles before, I'm sure too, while a lot have, I'm sure, or computers. So it seems like it's just like a really exciting thing for you to be able to just like bring gaming to like a whole slew of people. Like imagine somebody that's like never been able to play Call of Duty before and now they can like play it on their phone. I would imagine that's like something that's really cool, really rewarding and just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. A hundred percent. Mobile fundamentally is like democratized gaming. And in the West, it's done it from like a gender standpoint, right? Where gaming, PC and console gaming were like, aggressively and like incredibly male dominated and mobile you've seen the statistics more than 50 percent of mobile players and payers are female and so you've seen that is democratized gaming in the west across demographic lines and in frontier markets it's just fundamentally made it accessible to a bunch of folks who couldn't buy or wouldn't be inclined to buy 800 ps5 or a $3,000 gaming PC. And so suddenly it takes this thing, which is everyone needs to have, right? It's used for almost everything in daily life, even to a greater degree than you would see in the US, which might seem impossible, right? Given how often you probably find yourself staring at your phone screen, but it's actually true. It's more central to daily life in a place like Africa. Everyone either has one or will have one. And now suddenly games pop up here and really great like high quality games pop up and it's an awesome medium to democratize gaming access to gaming. And we think there are like a couple small steps beyond that, that will really level the playing field and cause the industry to explode in, in the region. And that's what we're trying to do. We're essentially trying to kind of play our part to help catalyze the growth that we see there. Awesome. Love it. Well, Cordell, thanks so much for joining. That was like a super interesting conversation. And we'll just wait and see what, what happens with Carrie first. And we'll be following the rollout of Call of Duty in South Africa. Awesome. Thanks for having me once again. Really appreciate it. All right. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.